If you would open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, we're continuing our series going through the book of Acts together. And I'm going to read our passage for us today. I want to jump right into God's Word. And there's a lot in here, and we're going to unpack it in these five verses. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says that Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He, that's Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to take Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, as we spend time, Lord, looking at this eternal truth that is here, Lord, that you would bring illumination to our hearts and to our souls, Lord, that you would help us to live as your people, Lord, you have called us to live in in this time, in this day, in this age, in this year, it's not an accident that we are alive as your people in 2020, Lord, from the foundation of the world, you planned for us to be here in this moment, Lord, to live as salt and to live as light for a purpose, Lord, that you have a a purpose for your church to accomplish in this day, in this season, in this hour, and Lord, you have a purpose for each one of us individually as we're a part of your church, as we're a part of your people. Lord, help us to not be a people dominated by fear, but a people who live by faith and are filled with boldness to trust in you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, a little bit of the backstory about where we are here in uh, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. They're, They're traveling around to churches that had been started by Paul and a man named Barnabas on a, a, another missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas, in Acts chapter 13, we saw that, that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit to go and to preach the gospel, to tell the good news about Jesus Christ to people and to communities and to regions that had never heard of the, the gospel. They had never heard about Jesus. And so Paul and Barnabas, they went and they traveled from city to city preaching the gospel and The Lord moved on people's hearts. The Holy Spirit brought revelation to even whole communities who turned and trusted in Jesus Christ. Revivals were breaking out. People were were turning from darkness to light, were turning from sin and repentance towards faith in Christ. And, And it was amazing what God was doing. Churches were established. Leaders were raised up. And Paul and Barnabas traveled from town to town doing this apostolic missions work, this very important work, this mission that they had call, God had called them to. Well, after a season, Paul and Barnabas returned to their home base, which was in Antioch, and, and they stayed there for a, a long season of time. And after a period of time had passed, the Holy Spirit put it on Paul's heart to go back to these churches that they had started and planted to visit them, to see how they were doing, 
to encourage them, to see if they were continuing on with their faith or if the enemy had discouraged them and and drawn them back into the world. It wasn't like today where you can find out how someone is doing, you know, sending them a text or poking them on Facebook or whatever it is that that we do today. It wasn't like that. They, they, They had to go and they had to leave their place of comfort and security and their homes behind and and travel to go and meet face-to-face. Imagine that, meeting face-to-face with people. They didn't have Zoom back then. They, they had to go. And so they went on this journey. But before they left, Paul and Barnabas had an argument. They had a disagreement. Barnabas wanted to take a, a young man, John Mark, and, and Paul was adamant that John Mark could not go on the trip because John Mark had forsaken them on the first trip. And, and so Paul and Barnabas, they split up the the this team was, was, was multiplied into to two different teams. And Paul and Silas now go back to the churches and uh, Barnabas and John Mark travel to different areas into different regions. And so here we see now the first stop on their second missionary journey. And it tells us that they came to Derby and to Lystra. Now, this is, this is amazing that this is the first place that, that they went to. Because if, if you recall, something quite significant had happened the last time that Paul was in this region, the last time Paul was in these cities. Do you remember what happened the last time Paul was in Derby and Lystra? He got stoned. And I'm not talking about Mary Jane or marijuana. I'm, I, mean, I mean, they tried to kill him stoned. That means they picked up rocks, bricks, heavy stones, and they hurled them at Paul until they thought he was dead. If you go back to Acts chapter 14, I'll I'll read that for us uh, quickly. Acts chapter 14, verse 19, while Paul was in Lystra, it says, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they persuaded the crowds, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. The last time Paul visited Lystra, they carried him out in a body bag. They thought he was dead. Was he dead? Or did they just think he was dead? I don't know, but both are really bad. It says that after they threw him out, basically in the garbage pile of the city, the disciples, the the followers of Christ, they gathered around Paul. And he rose up and entered back into the city. And on the next day, he left with Barnabas to go to Derby. Now, if I was going back on a missionary journey, I just have to be honest. There's, I, 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 that wouldn't be my first stop, right? Let's go back to the place where they tried to murder me or they did murder me and God raised me from the dead. Either one. I would say, you know what? I'm good. Let's just kind of bypass that. We'll go down here, preach the gospel to other people. And if time permits on our itinerary, maybe, maybe we can circle back to those people that like to throw rocks at me. You know, that would just be me. That would be my flesh. I, I don't know if you would share in that temptation. Uh, you know, I've, I've, from time to time, I've had an opportunity to, to travel to different places and to preach in different churches. And there's some places that I've preached that that I've thought, you know what? If I never come back here, I'm okay. I'll, I'll be all right. And, and it's not because they tried to stone me. They just didn't give me enough amens when I preached to them. I, I would, and and if, I am, if I am that, 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 
petty about such little things. You know, Paul, he, he goes straight back to that place. I would say, you know what, I'll check that off my bucket list. Lystra, we're good to go. That's his first stop. That's amazing. That's amazing. And as, as we examine Paul's life, the, the apostles, they're, they're examples to us. They're examples. The apostles, they, they, they show us how to live the life that God has called us as Christians to live. So, so obviously Paul is, he, he still has a heart for these people, this heart for this community. And, and Paul is being led by the Spirit of God. That's why he goes back there. Paul is not a masochist. He's not someone who just loves pain and people beating up on him. He's following the direction of the Holy Spirit. He's going back there. And, and as, as we get into next week, as we see how Paul approaches where to go on his missions trip, he's listening very closely to the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has asked Paul to go back to this place. And I have to just say that this is, this is incredibly bold of Paul. The last time he was there, they tried to kill him. But here he goes back. And, and how can we account for this? How can we account for this boldness that he had? This confidence, this assurance. It's that Paul lived by faith. He lived by faith. Paul was a man who trusted God and lived every day by faith. Paul was not dominated by fear. Certainly, he, he would have felt some, in, you know, as a human being, some anxiety going back into that city. Right? He's human. Certainly, there was some post-traumatic stress, I, I'm sure, that he felt as he walked back into that city that they had carried him out as, in a garbage bag, in a, in a body bag. Nevertheless, Paul does not succumb to fear. He doesn't succumb to anxiety. He doesn't succumb to doubt. He lives by faith. And you and I, as children of God, we too are called to live by faith, not to give in to fear. Paul's life was governed by something more than his immediate circumstance. Galatians 2.20, he put it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This first sentence of this verse, such a powerful concept. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. What Paul is saying is that I have died to the world. The, the things that the world has to offer, the, the things of this life, momentary, temporary, Paul says, I have died to those things. Paul says, I have died to the flesh. 
crucified the flesh. Now we know in our flesh, what does our flesh desire? What does our flesh want? In our flesh, do, do we want to go back to places where people tried to kill us? No. What do we want? We want peace, security, comfort, ease, everything to go well, a life of pleasure, worry-free, carefree. That's what our flesh craves and desires. But as God's people, we do not give in to every desire of the flesh because we're called to live by faith, to step out, to follow God and His leading. Though it may cost us, though it may be costly, we have died to the world, to what the world has to offer, crucified with Christ. To the extent that Paul could say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the goal for us as believers, for how we are to live our lives, for how we are to follow after Christ. This is why when we come to Christ, the, the sign of, of being a Christian is, is going through water baptism. Water baptism, which, which is a symbol of being buried with Christ, being crucified with Christ, that our we have died to our old life of sin. We've died to our old life of following the flesh. And we are now raised as we're lifted up out of the water just as Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. So we too have been raised in newness of life to live a new kind of life, to live a life that is not dominated by the flesh, to live a life that is by faith. That's what water baptism is all about. It's a, it's a moment in time where we have been marked and we say our old life is dead. We've died to this life. And we are now living by faith and that it is Christ who lives in us. This is how we are to live every single day and we do it by faith by faith, by trusting in God, by trusting in His Word, by trusting in the leading of the Holy Spirit. At times it, it may be costly. At, at times it, it might produce the opposite of what the flesh desires. But we trust in God. We trust in God. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The first step to following Jesus is a denial of self. A denial of self. Because the things that we want, 99 times out of 100, do not line up with the things that God wants. 
in our flesh. Jesus says, to follow me, to come after me, you must deny your flesh. You must deny yourself. And this is what we see Paul doing as he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit, going back to the place where he knows these people don't like him. Nevertheless, he has been crucified with Christ. He is taking up his cross. He is following after Jesus. You see, this world offers to us many different things. This world has many things to offer, but they're all temporary. They're all fleeting. They're all passing away. And they do not produce what we truly want and desire in our lives. They're a facade. It it looks good on the outside. Sin looks good for a moment. There is temporary pleasure, but in the end, it produces death. It's not what it looks like. This is why we see so often every single year that we read it in the headlines of, of people who, by the world's standards, they have it all. People who have all of the celebrity, who have all of the fame, who have all of the glory, who have all of the wealth, who have all of the friends and the accolades of men, yet in the end they have no hope. And we read the headlines time and time again that they've taken their own lives. How can this be? It's because the things of this world do not satisfy the eternal longings of our hearts. That at the end of what this world has to offer is nothing but death. But what Christ offers to us is life and life eternal. Love and joy and peace and goodness flood our soul even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of opposition. Paul had died to this life. He had surrendered his life completely, totally to Christ He was not living for this life. He knew that there was a life beyond this life, and that is what he was living for, and that is what you and I are called to live for. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians uh, 15.10, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be the most pitied. Where does our hope lie? In this life? No, our hope lies in the life to come. That is where our hope lies, in eternity, with Christ forever. This world passing away, this world like a vapor, this world time is so fleeting. You know, I'm 39 uh, this year. I I turned 39 a couple months ago, and I, I was just sitting back, and I was remembering, I remember when I turned 30. It seemed like it was only yesterday. Some of you are 69 and you're saying, yeah, it seemed like it was only yesterday when I turned 30. Life is short. It goes by so fast. You you try to hold on to it and it, it slips through your fingers like the sands of time. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you try to make your life here, you'll lose it. You can't hold on to it. There's this old preacher quote that says that there's, you never see a, 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 a hearse carrying a U-Haul. There, there's never a U-Haul going behind a hearse because you can't take it with you. Whatever you amass, whatever you build, 
In the end, it's gone. But what you do for Christ, for souls, for people, for eternity, it outlives this life. Amen. And God has called His people to live with an eternal perspective. And that's what we see Paul here doing. He's not living for this life. He's not living to make his home here. He has a home in heaven, a future that is secure. So as Christians, we are not fearful about the future. Right? We're not fearful about the future. Why? Because our future is secure. Our eternity is secure. What awaits us is is done, is finished. For those who have put their faith in Christ, there is no uncertainty about the future. No uncertainty. That this means that Christians should be the most optimistic people on the planet. Because our future is secure. Our hope is paid for. We know where we're going. The Bible says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. It goes beyond even imagination. Beyond imagination. It's amazing what God has prepared for us. And we will live there forever, for eternity, not here where it passes away so quickly. The things that are new today are are outdated tomorrow. The things that we think will bring us joy and happiness and satisfaction in a week, we're throwing them away in the trash. Our hope is in Christ, in eternity. And so we should be optimistic as Christians. Amen. People ask us how we're doing and how are things going. Well, you know, I mean, you know, if these people get into power, I guess, I guess everything's going down the, tra- the tubes, you know. I guess it's all over. No, it's not. It's not over. It, it, in fact, it will never be over. Our, our hope, our home, our security, it, it, it's forever and eternity. Amen. Our destiny is not tied to the destiny of this nation or of this culture or of the stock market or of your 401k or whatever. Our destiny is in heaven with Christ forever. And we must live daily, daily remind ourselves of this reality because daily we're bombarded with another reality. Daily we're bombarded with the, the, the ails and, and the, all of the ills that plague our society. Daily we're, we're told that everything is, is going downhill and it's a disaster everywhere. Just, just calamity and failure. And Listen, that stuff doesn't apply to you. It doesn't apply to you because you're not a part of this kingdom. You're a part of the kingdom of God. A kingdom whose foundation cannot be shaken. A kingdom who is not governed by a, a, a man or a woman who, is, who has faults and failures, but a kingdom that is governed by a king, the king of kings, 
the Lord of Lords, the righteous judge, the perfect son of God. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He is the one we put our hope in. Amen. I've got news for you. The world is passing away. The world is going downhill. But we, we're, we've already jumped ship. We're already, we're already in the lifeboat. We're already separated, called out from the world. Whatever happens in the world, I mean, we're set as God's people. We need to steady our hearts with this truth and this reality. Sometimes, moment by moment, hour by hour, as the world is passing away. And the Bible tells us that this will happen. This isn't a shock to anyone who studies God's Word. What we're seeing in in our culture is people coming to grips with the fact that there is no hope in this world. The only hope is in Jesus Christ. People are coming to terms with the fact that they put their hope in things that can't deliver. They haven't put their hope in Jesus. But for us as Christians, our eternity is secure. Amen. This is how Paul lived. This is why he can go back to the place that they tried to murder him. He's not dominated by fear. He knows his future is secure. Now, does this mean that we will never be afraid? Does this mean that we will never be fearful or, or, or have have concerns or, or, or be, you know, filled with anxiety? Is, is that what this means? No, but let me tell you what it does mean. It means we have been set free from the power of fear. Set free from the power of fear. This is different from never being afraid. I'm sure that Paul felt some, he's a human being, he's flesh and blood. As he goes back to this town, I'm certain that he was like, are they going to stone me again? Are they going to kill me this time? You know, he, the thoughts cross his mind, but he's not dominated by this spirit of fear. He's not dominated by it. Sure, there are times where we may be afraid, but as Christians, we don't give in to the fear. We aren't overcome by our fears. Instead, we overcome our fear through our faith in Jesus Christ. Overcoming fear. Not letting it trap us. Not being bound to it and, and allowing, us, allowing fear to keep us in bondage. Instead, we overcome fear as we put our faith in Christ. This is how we are called to live. Free from fear. Not an absence of fear, but not enslaved and dominated and crippled by fear. And we overcome, this is how you overcome fear. This, this is the key. You overcome fear by flooding your soul with the truth of God's word. This is how you overcome fear. By filling your soul, that's your mind, your will, your emotions, with the truth of God's word. Because the, the, the truth of God's word 
shows us, reminds us of the hope that we have. It, it steadies our heart. The, the Bible says that God's word is like an anchor for our soul, that in the storms of life, that, that the anchor holds if we've put God's word in our hearts. Listen, I'm, I'm flesh and blood just like you. There, if, if I allow my thoughts and my thinking to, to, just, to just run away with itself, I, I can be led into fear. I can be led into worry. I can be led into anxiety and doubt. But as we renew our minds daily with the Word of God, daily with the Word of God, we replace fear with faith. We replace uncertainty with the truth, the rock-solid, unchanging, inspired, God-breathed, infallible Word of God. And we can do this through reading the Word. We can do this through listening to people preach and to proclaim God's Word. We can do it through, through listening to and, and singing along with worship songs. My dad, I, I shared this in the first service, my, my dad, he, he wrote songs. That that's, was his gift. He was a psalmist. And, and so many of the songs that he wrote were songs that just build your faith. Just build your faith. One song he wrote, it was called, I've Got the Victor Living in Me. And I mean, even me just saying that line, those of you who know that song, you, you begin to, to feel the faith rising up within you. There are times where, I, you know, I, I'm feeling down or I'm feeling depressed. I, I go put some music on that's going to build my faith, that will fill my soul with truth, that will steady my emotions. Because I can get tossed around just like everybody else. Too often times, Christians, we, we, we don't do that. We, we plug into the 24-7 news cycle of bad news and death and destruction and calamity. Listen, we need to flood our souls with the eternal truth of God's Word. Turn off the news, put on the, the worship, and, and usher yourself into the presence of God where there is freedom, where there is fullness of joy. To, to look past the temporary and to steady our hearts with the eternal, the unchanging, the sure, the secure. That's what I got to do. Because Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome the world. And I celebrate in that. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes, We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. It means I'm not, I don't live my life by simply what I see happening around me. I don't make my decisions based on temporary circumstances. I, I base my life, I base my, my decisions on the principles, the unchanging, the timeless truths of God's Word. And it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to do that, but that's how we're called to live, to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith. And I'm still on the first verse of uh, this passage. I, I would like to, I'd like to talk a little bit about Timothy, this young man that, that Paul 
sees here in Lystra as he goes back and um, he's very impressed with this young man and he, he takes this young man as, as a disciple along, along with him, as a, as a protege, if you will, as someone who he began to train in the ministry and later on Paul will write and, and talk about Timothy as his true son in the faith that the relationship they had was like a father and a son. And Timothy becomes incredibly important to the ministry and to the gospel going forward. He, he becomes a, a, a powerful man of God, used by God to, to bring blessing and to, to help strengthen churches as, as he becomes a worker with Paul in the gospel. But there's something interesting that happens here. It says before Paul would take Timothy along the journey with them, he first took him and circumcised him. That's interesting. Um, I've never, this is the only time I've ever heard of a preacher doing that to someone he wanted to take on a missions trip. Um, Normally they tell you you got to get your shots and your passport and stuff like that, but a little different requirement for Timothy. Now, if, if you've been tracking with us through Acts, the last chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 15, th this might seem bewildering to you because in, in Acts chapter 15, what was that all about? Well, that was about them having this huge argument about circumcision and there were these false teachers that were teaching people that they had to be circumcised to be saved, that, that their faith in Christ was not enough for salvation, but that you had to do a work of the flesh to produce salvation in your life. And these false teachers had come in, they were teaching this heresy, and Paul and Barnabas opposed them just very directly and forcefully said that this is not the truth of the gospel. They opposed this message of salvation through circumcision. And they had a huge meeting with Peter and James and John and all of the other apostles and all of the other elders. They had this huge meeting in Jerusalem. And they all came together and they determined that, no, we are not saved by a work of the flesh, but we are only saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. That was the message that Paul had always preached it was the message that was affirmed by all the apostles. It is the gospel. We're not saved by our own works. And then you turn to the next chapter, and what do we see? Paul is circumcising somebody. What is going on? Well, the issue was, and it tells us clearly, the reason he did this was because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that Timothy's father was a Gentile. So Timothy grew up in a mixed, race, mixed racial family. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Gentile, a Greek. Two different cultures, two different kinds of religion. Some of you, peop some of you uh, grew up in a family like that. Came from two, father was of faith and mother was not, or mother was of faith and father was not, or, or mixed racial or mixed cultural family. That's the upbringing that Timothy had. And because of the upbringing that he had when he was a little boy, he was not circumcised as a Jew would have been. 
And it tells us that the, the Jews in that region knew of the, this sort of ambiguity about Timothy. They, they knew that he was kind of in the middle, that he was, sort of grew up this way and that he, he, he had not embraced uh, his Jewish heritage by being circumcised. Now, Paul is a missionary. In every place that he stops, the first place he goes to is the Jewish synagogue. Because as he goes and preaches the gospel, he's preaching Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus, the Savior. Jesus, the, the promised King and Deliverer. And he goes to the Jew first, and then he goes to the Gentile. And bringing Timothy along, Timothy would have been, he would have been rejected by these communities because of his ambiguity. And so Paul, for practical purposes for expediency in, in getting into the synagogues and getting into the communities being received, he has Timothy circumcised. But it's not a salvation issue. I have to underscore that. It's not so that Timothy could be saved. In fact, it tells us very clearly he already is saved. He has a good reputation among the church. Paul sees in him so much ministry potential but this will be a stumbling block to the Jews that they want to minister to and so it, for expediency's sake and so that Timothy would be received by these communities so that they could preach the gospel to them, Paul has him circumcised. And this would say to the Jewish community that Timothy had, had received uh, his, had, had embraced rather his, his Jewish culture and so what Paul is doing is he's saying that it's not worth offending people on their culture. We need to preach the gospel to them. That, that the gospel message in and of itself is offensive enough. And that for people to, to be able to hear the gospel, we need to not offend them before we can even share this offensive message with them. Later on... Uh, Paul will, will bring a, a Gentile along with him, a young man named Titus. And there are Jews who want Titus to be circumcised, and Paul says, absolutely not. He's not a Jew. You see, Timothy was halfway in this camp. And, and as a Gentile, Titus would have been rejected from these communities anyway. And so to apply circumcision to a Gentile as a way of salvation would have been legalism, but for Timothy it was a way for him to be received into these communities so that they could minister the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's a strategic decision. It's not about salvation. It's so that the ministry can go forward unhindered. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but at the end... In verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He says, To the Jew I lived as a Jew, to the Gentile I lived as Gentiles. I, I, I wasn't interested, Paul says, in, in getting into all of these arguments and all of these debates about cultural issues. He says, I, 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 Paul says, I'm, I'm like a chameleon on, on these cultural issues 
so that I can present the gospel to them, so that by any means I might win some. I'm not here to, Paul says, I'm not here to argue about temporary things. I'm here to share the gospel. And for us as Christians, this is an, this is a, this is an example for us. This should be an example to us. That we shouldn't argue with people about secondary things that have no eternal uh, consequences. That as Christians, we need to be concerned about people's hearts and people's souls. This is the concern of our hearts. So many times, we're, we're, we, we get into arguments, we get into debates with people about things that are passing away about things that have no eternal value. And we need to be about the gospel. In, in verse 4, it says that they traveled around of, of chapter 16 and, and delivered to the churches the message that the council, the Jerusalem council, had given them. And that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Well, what is this message that they were preaching? Well, Acts chapter 15, 11, it tells us the message that they delivered. It says that Gentiles will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as we are. They went, what did they go around preaching? They went around preaching salvation by grace. So even though Paul circumcised Timothy, he did not change his message. This was only a method of having Timothy not be offensive to people so that they could preach the gospel to them. It's all about the gospel. This is the message that they delivered unto them. We're saved by grace, and, and because we love people, we're willing to, to, to lay aside our preferences, we're willing to lay aside secondary things so that we can share the gospel with people. Now, in the first service, I made some comments that landed on people like a ton of bricks, and I'm going to do the same thing to you. So, in, in our current political climate, we're not called to argue politics with people. We're called to be concerned about people's souls. The individuals, the people in our life, the people that we know, the people that we love, there's a higher way, there are something more concerning, more pressing than the election in November. It's eternity. It's the imminent return of Christ. It's judgment day. This is the pressing matter for humanity. November will come, November will go. Guess what will change? Nothing. Nothing. It's going to be chaos. Just buckle up. It's going to be chaos. We are concerned with the individual. That's what Jesus was always concerned with. Always, always, always. The individual. We should not be people just shouting in the wind. But we should be willing to care enough about people that we will share the gospel with them. We're not trying to convert people to a political party. We're not trying to convert people to an ideology of R or D or blue or red. We're trying to convert souls to Christ. 
And so often, we never even get the opportunity to share that message because we have offended people with our politics. What a travesty. What a travesty. Focusing on the temporal and forsaking the eternal. Christians, we are called to lay aside the silly, the the passing away, the temporary, so that we can share the gospel with the individual in love. The world wants you to follow a donkey. The world wants you to follow, what's the other one, an elephant. Christians, we follow the lamb, the lamb of God. Amen. So, I am, I am, I am willing, in, because I love people, I am willing to not get into political arguments so that I can share the gospel. I am willing. I am willing. Now, that being said, what I mean by that is that Christians, we are primarily concerned, primarily with the state of people's hearts. And we know that as Christians, our politics, our voting, our outlook is shaped by the Word of God. By the Word of God. And the, the only way, the only way that our nation will be brought back from the brink is if God moves in a mighty way. The only way will be if there is massive revival that sweeps across this land. Not sweeping people into a political party, but sweeping people into the kingdom of God. That's what our country needs. And it won't happen if Christians are distracted by politics. Should we care? Yes. Should we vote? Yes. Should we vote our values in the Word of God? Yes. But we can't lose sight of the individuals that are right in front of us, that we are called to love and we are called to serve and we are called to share the gospel, that message with them. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come and lead us in one more song of of celebration as we finish today. I would ask all of us just to pause for a moment and just ask the Lord, Lord, what is the message that I'm preaching? What is the message that I'm proclaiming? What is the message that I am sharing? Is it the gospel? The gospel which is the only message that has the power of God into salvation? Or is it something else? I truly believe that to live by faith is to be someone who shares the gospel message and that all of us have been called by God to do that. But too often times we do find ourselves distracted or, or, or sharing other things. And I really believe that God in this season has called us to be lights, to shine forth the light of Jesus to shine, to to lift up God's word as the light, the lamp 
to call people to faith in Christ. And so, Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is unchanging. Lord, help us as your people in, in this season to live for you, to live as salt, Lord, which is a preservative. It preserves against decay. To live as, as lights that shine forth into the darkness that, that even at times exposes the things that are in the darkness. Lord, show us, give us wisdom. Let us be led by your Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Lord, not led by the Spirit of this age or the Spirit that's in our culture. Lord, to be sensitive unto you. Lord, to be willing to, to lay aside secondary things so that we might minister the most important thing, the gospel, the good news. Lord, it's the gospel that we love. It's the gospel that has saved us. It's the gospel in which we stand and in which we live. We thank you for your grace towards us. Lord, help us to live in love towards our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.